Safe injection sites in San Francisco are providing a controversial fix for overdose deaths. Democrats call for a boycott of In-N-Out Burger and California's attack on the gig economy. That's what's coming up in this week's episode of California Streaming. You're listening to the California Streaming Podcast with Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're just three conservative friends trying to provide some counterbalance in one of the most liberal states in the union. So let's hop on our magic choo-choo train to nowhere and talk some California politics. We're back. Yes, we are. Yeah, hey, hey everybody. Thanks for, thanks for telling all your friends about downloading the podcast and subscribing. Can you believe we're at episode 18? Pretty cool. Wow. Pretty 18 cool. hours of amazing content so far and over 1,000 downloads. And I'd have to say, we've talked about this a little bit, but I'd have to say as episodes have gone on, it's been a while since we've talked about a federal issue. Or at least we, we probably have not too long ago, but, but they're few and far between. We I mean, have, we bring them up when, when they of course, coincide or something. But we have so many. We just continue to have so many California topics. I know we do three pretty decent topics every week, and we have ones in the queue. Right. Like we kind of pick and choose three out of a bucket of more. And they're all California most of the time. <laughs> they're all California. Especially this one. Let's, uh, I guess let's get into it. The first story is a news story that says, A controversial fix for overdose deaths. Safe injection sites. So this isn't an exactly a new concept. I know other, we'll get to this in a little bit. I know other places in the world have, have tried this. 160 different injection sites across the world right now. There you go. Wow. Stat of the day. Yeah, that there is you go. Stat of that the day. A, that is a hefty stat. And um, yeah, we're looking at doing the same. So existing law makes it a crime to visit or be in any room, or this is AB 186, excuse me, AB 186. Existing law makes it a crime to visit or be in any room where specified controlled substances are being unlawfully used with knowledge that the activity is occurring, or to open or maintain a place for the purpose of giving away or using specified controlled substances. The bill would exempt the person from existing criminal sanctions solely for actions or conduct on the site of a safer drug consumption services program for adults authorized by the city and county. So this basically makes it so it's perfectly legal to have a room, right, where there are needles, couches. I I think I even read that they've brought in you know, designers to design the room. So oh, it's, how nice. So it's inviting and the colors are correct and everything. I think it's a uh, BYOD. I hope it so. is. <laughs> uh, bring your own drugs. Um, but they give all the paraphernalia, everything else you need. With the thought behind all of it, I believe, that it will minimize overdoses and thus all of the medical support costs that go along with the misuse of illegal drugs. Did I just? Yeah, that's kind no, of a weird thing to say. I, you're, you're, you're into the Holian libertarian viewpoint. Okay, and I, I would say I, I would boil into the more conservative viewpoint. Okay. Yeah, and so I hope we have a good discussion about this kind of thing. Uh, no, it'll just be interesting. To translate. I, yeah, yeah. Bobby doesn't like drugs. I know, like John drugs. loves drugs. <laughs> right. That, that's that's uh, he's that into the a, anarchy. Thing, that is yeah. a simplification of some kind. <laughs> um, this this is interesting though, and and I honestly I can't tell you I have fully explored. 
I mean, I know what you're saying. I can't tell you I fully drawn lines or where I think about. But, but continue, continue. No, uh, it it's a social thing, and that's yeah. that's all it is. It's a social yeah. thing. There's there's nothing that that says um, it's an economic thing. Obviously, but there's there's a war on drugs that we're fighting right now, yes. and and arguably we're either in a stalemate or losing it, or we don't know what exactly it is. It's just kind of a perpetual thing. But essentially, these injection sites are something for us as the normal citizen to feel good about ourselves. Interesting. Okay. We see it in San Francisco where this injection site is going to be at. And we all saw the videos of many, many drug users in the terminals of the uh, subway station and different places where they were openly using uh, heroin or whatever injectable um, drugs that they were using. And they were essentially dead dead in the streets and people would have to pass over them and pass over the leftover needles to get wherever they were going. They, as the normal citizen, felt unsafe because of these actions. And so we're bringing in this injection site so that the normal citizen doesn't have to view it anymore. They don't have to see it. Out, out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. Okay, it's a feel-good position on the opposite end. The, the, the problem doesn't go away. The habitual drug use doesn't go away. What we're sa- we are saving lives. Let's let's not argue that part because I I, w- I agree that they are being uh, monitored and that they their lives can be saved if they should be uh, you know overdose. But arguably, we're pushing them into a shadowy cave so that we don't have to deal with them anymore. Interesting point. I, I, I see your point. And we're point bringing making. a sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, okay, you get addicted. Let's let's solve. We're not solving their addictiveness, their their addictive nature, or we're not getting rid of the thing they're addicted to. We're enabling it. We're enabling it. That's where that's my position on it. No, it's interesting. Um, you're right. It brings up just a whole a whole host of questions. But the first of which is. From, from what I could read, or at least here, this was from citylab.com, a story. It says, the space was assembled by a consortium of community groups and nonprofits, including the Tenderloin Health Improvement Partnership, city-based nonprofit Glide, along with Drug Users Union and San Francisco AIDS Foundation. I know we brought up this concept on the podcast a lot. My first question is, and from the sounds of this, it seems okay from this angle, uh, who's paying for it, Right. I get the sense I'm probably wrong because inevitably underneath one of these groups, et cetera, is also matching city dollars, et cetera. On one level, if all of this was coming from donors, nonprofits, et cetera, so far that at least fiscally the box is checked for me. But again, I don't know if you guys found something different, but I'm highly skeptical that that's true. Um, but yeah, uh, Louis, weigh in on this. What's the um, what's the drug that uh, brings people back after they've had uh, too much opioid? Narcan. Oh Narcan. yeah, that's Thank it. You. That's or, right. Or naloxone is the generic. Um, if, mean, if you'll permit me, that's another. So hold that thought because that's another point from the same article is that the sites in Vancouver, British Columbia, and Melbourne. They supply their users with multiple needles, like we said, uh, of different sizes and related drug prep kits, along with Narcan, 
um, an overdose antidote, like Louis said. Fentanyl strips to test for synthetics, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and syringe disposal containers. So, yeah. so yeah. It, I get it. If Well, and uh, mind you, like, the Narcan only works with the opiates, mm-hmm. so your heroines and okay. you know, morphine, okay. something like that. So if somebody's coming to shoot up something else, like meth or, you know, one of the other drugs, it's not going to help in that case. They're just going to get high like normal. Uh, these sites, I see both points. I see, well, if they're going to, if they're going to inject, give them a safe spot to do it where I think the primary issue is that they carry Narcan on site disposing of needles. Okay. I, I guess you can put in the, I think that's probably why a, the AIDS foundation and stuff are in the mix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Giving them a clean place to leave their sharps. Okay. But the real, the real deal is that they've got Narcan ready to go should they overdose, which Narcan's getting to the point to be over the counter almost. Uh, I mean, they're, they're giving librarians this stuff. Yeah. I, because, in, in, I, in this county, our, our cops are carrying it now too, or some, some of the cops. So it's pretty easy to give. It's pretty safe. Now, the, the deal with Narcan is that its half-life might not be the same as the amount of heroin that's still in the system. So maybe you take enough heroin to keep you high for an hour and you get enough Narcan to keep you sober for 15 minutes. And after that 15 minutes elapsed, you still have enough heroin in your system to overdose again. Oh, interesting. So it should always be followed up with a transport to the hospital. Uh, or they can monitor you, or they they can give you heroin, or um, they can give you Narcan on a a more long term basis. Tell you wean out the heroin out of your system. Do you get the sense that that level of input and support is actually provided at these sorts of places, or is it more of well, someone who's standing there saying, "Well, here's the Narcan. I I, I don't know how it's supposed to well, be." Well, the in the indirect. We always talk about the indirect ramifications of some of this stuff is. What percentage of now is EMS and fire going to go to these safe injection sites with overdose cases? Because like we said, okay, they can have Narcan there, which helps save their life in the short term, but they still need to go to the hospital to get evaluated. It's not like you walk away. At least it shouldn't be that way. Now, the person has the right to do whatever they want once they're alert, alert and oriented. But in that same realm... You know, anytime you have a a concentration of something in an area, it leads to more calls there. Whether it's a homeless shelter, whether it's the safe injection sites, uh, anywhere where you have the vulnerable population that uses 911 the most, now you've put them in one spot in a concentration, and now that facility or that address becomes... Uh, a frequent flyer location, if you will, right? That they're a driver of a lot of responses. Now, I don't know if these also have a physician on site. You know, a lot yeah. can be done with a physician there. That's what they're saying is uh, they, are they have an off-duty physician or a registered nurse and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I could go either way with it. I do. I wonder how how much it actually gets used. Like, if I need a high, am I going to leave my home fiending to go to one of these places? To inject there, or am I just going to keep doing it at home or on the street? I think it, there's an alluring aspect to it, and they're saying, well, why not go there 
all my friends are there anyway. Just might as well just do it there. But is it is it like I go, I get high, I walk out? Or is it I go, I hang out there, I well, get the, high, the, I hang out there? I, I live there, it, it, I yeah. sleep there. Yeah, like what happens once you get high? No, from what from what I've seen on the videos from uh, other places, yeah, it's a revolving door. They they're in and out. Because they, they leave to score more, and then they come back and do it again. Yeah, so that whole element of maybe they don't, you know, pass out right there. They get their injection, they walk out the door, and then they pass out. You know what I didn't see in any of this stuff? And and I'm just thinking of it now. I should have looked it up. But where does, where does the DEA play in? Oh. To any of this stuff. Well, I was going to bring right? that up. you asked, John. Yeah, no, uh, I am glad I asked because I, d- I don't know, but it sounds like you guys might, right? <laughs> I mean, you're basically creating sinners now for, hey, come here, check this place out if you're a DEA agent. You're probably going to find a bust. Right, because uh, safe injection site or not, it's still illegal, illegal federally. Right. 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 It's our same deal with the pot. Correct. Still illegal at the federal level. And I'd have to believe hard drugs are... The excuse for pot is always, oh, it's just marijuana. Sure. But now we're talking about a lot harder stuff. So what what is the well, federalism <laughs> ramification there? Well, in Canada, where they uh, where they have their their own injection sites, they they had the same very good discussion, and because they have their own um, states, if you will, provinces, provinces, yeah. Uh, but they have a similar situation where it goes up to a federal level. And it's the federal level that makes the decision on drugs themselves and who has the jurisdiction on the particularly these hard ones. So now we have California who, and many other states that have passed marijuana laws in defiance of the federal government because it's a Schedule 1A drug. And they haven't changed that yet. And one day they may come down on that, but they haven't yet. So they are doing a, an official push against the federally mandated uh, use of drugs because this is in direct conflict with the crack house statute, whereas you once it's a felony to have a place where you congregate to do drugs or habitual drugs or whatever you you know that falls under the statute. So they're contesting that federal law to do that. Well, and I want to know too, you know, this gets dealt with a lot with the the pot laws is the community typically has a lot to say about placement of dispensaries or any kind of the marijuana manufacturing place. Putting it next to Louis' house. <laughs> right? And nobody nobody wants it in their backyard. And Nimby. you get a lot of pushback on that. So with these safe injection sites, I would argue you're going to get a way different element than what the marijuana places bring. Oh, I would imagine. Because the deal is always, guys, it's just pot, and they're going to buy their weed. And most of these people, you know, they're actually little old ladies and your glaucoma people. And, you know, you think it brings an element that just exists in movies, and and they kind of chastise you for, for thinking that. But when you start talking about these drugs, you're talking about junkies. You're talking about a different level, different element People don't withdraw from marijuana like they do these other drugs. Uh, they don't commit. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they don't get commit the same level of crime and stuff as junkies looking for these harder drugs. And so, what kind of element does that create in that neighborhood or around that institution? Like, and you're going to get a lot of not in my backyard. Definitely. Where do you put it? I wouldn't want it next to my business. 
You put it or next to the home. Arby's and the and McDonald's. <laughs> Boy, the Arby's in Ventura. I think there are some of these sites <laughs> operating around that one. Unofficial site. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big time. Big time. Um, when you guys touched earlier on you know, the, the ramifications of this and some secondary tertiary. I found one st- uh, study, again, to qualify it. This is from Reason.com, a noted libertarian, a conservative but primarily libertarian yeah. uh, news source. Okay. They say research has found that these safe injection facilities help prevent fatal overdoses, control the spread of HIV and hepatitis C, reduce skin and soft tissue infections, and encourage enrollment in drug treatment things that we said were touted already. A 2010 study estimated that Insight of Vancouver SIF, the safe injection facility, that opened in 2003 saves five times as much money as it costs. And according to a 2016 cost-benefit analysis, a safe injection facility in San Francisco would save about $2.33 for every dollar spent on it. Again, Bob, as Bobby's point was very early on, this is from a libertarian leaning news source and that's the that's the classic libertarian uh approach to all this right is the who's to say what you can or can't do with your own body if you want to take drugs and overdose technically that's what you should be able to do this like we've been talking about this has a lot of cross sections though right of who is paying for stuff um what kind of overall promotion not to mention, again, the secondary tertiary effects of where is it going to be located? What's the ramification on businesses? Now you start creeping into uh, its effects on others and other people's liberties and what they want to do and how they want to conduct themselves. So I don't know. It's, it's As with a lot of these issues, it gets really gray. Yeah, I'm looking at it and I go, it's supposed to improve the statistics. That's what it's there for. Right. You know, but does it fix the situation? But that, and I guess, okay, to pull from a classic libertarian argument when it comes to um, legalizing drugs, can you really say that banning these drugs has fixed the situation? Exactly. Yeah. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. At the same time, the statistics of the last 40 years don't bear out that, well, you just got to make it more illegal. Well, that doesn't really work. So... I don't know. Tricky. Yeah, I I get the war on drugs been a, a failed effort. Totally. Just, that's not I mean that's not just, to say tomorrow you flip the switch and say everything legal, sold at Vons. Well and we talked about this a few episodes ago. You you get to have a greater say when that person can then use socialized health care. That's the, see, that's a whole nother right. intersection of all this, right? The libertarian it's a great, side. It's a great point. Would be that, yeah, you get to kill yourself and destroy your body if you would like, right? But if you're going to do that to the point where now I have to pay for it, totally and different. pay for your medical bills, I'm going to have something to say about that because I don't see a net benefit to drug use in society. I just don't. I respect everybody's freedom of choice. I get that. Great. But when your problem becomes my problem, I have a problem with that. It's it's classically what we almost cover every week embedded in all of the stories that we talk about is the state that we live in, California, is on a path to shield everybody from the natural ramifications of the decisions that they make, right? And that's to your point. Doing this shields them 
from potential it goes continues to shield people from natural secondary primary secondary tertiary effects that would come to them without all these sorts of support systems etc and and again it's california's way of not addressing the problem which is mental health uh right so much of the problems in the state are just a lack of uh of a working mental health system whether it's uh whether it's the homeless population that's out of control all up and down the state, whether it's the drug use or it's the gun violence or it's all that stuff is rooted in mental health problems. And we have a failed mental health system in this state and we don't want to put any money towards that. What we want to do is stupid safe injection sites, but we don't actually want to help people get off the drugs. You have the right to do the drug, but at the same time, it's not going to help you in your life. So how about, we try to get you off the drugs and get you into saying. treatment and mental health. It's interesting you say that in, in the same City Lab article. Uh, Ken Kim, the clinical director at Glide, he said, quote, if people had housing, they wouldn't be using drugs in the street. The overarching issue here is poverty and homelessness. But again, that... But, but, but no, but... Uh, right, right, right. If, and, they had, and, if they had a wall to hide that, behind... That, that, then, and that, yeah. No, no, right. But And that's like getting one step closer to the issue you're talking about, but they're still not bringing up the issue that you're talking about. Because we can make, we've talked about it here in Santa Barbara. You can draw the correlation between poverty, homelessness, and mental health for sure issues. There's a but, gigantic but, trend line right. through all those. Right. You asked what the cost benefit was to habitual drug use. Yes, it's awesome rock and roll. <laughs> oh boy. On that note, topic number yeah, two. Moving on. This, quick. this one. Wow, this one's a good one. Uh, no boycott of in and out says California Democratic Party leader. So this one has to be filed, I think, under one of the stupidest all-time boycotts in the history of attempted boycotts. We're a little boycotts. late on this one, but I love this We thing. are, but we love in and out here in California. And so anybody who's been to in and out likes it, has gone multiple times, knows the pointlessness that was the attempted boycott, which the Dem leader is now trying to... Yeah, they really tried to step roll, back. Rolled roll back. Totally stupid. So it all started with a tweet on August 30th, 2018, that said, At two in and out, tens of thousands of dollars donated to the California Republican Party. It's time to hashtag boycott in and out. Let Trump and his cronies, ha- we have to work Trump in there. Let Trump and his cronies support these creeps, perhaps animal style. And then he gives some link. Mm. And it's uh, Eric Bowerman. Loser. Big fat loser. So the attempt, the attempt, and how stupid this was, the attempt was to get people to boycott in and out Burger, to not go, all because they had given, um, uh, I'm trying I think to, it was like 25 grand. Yeah, 25 grand to the Republican Party. Now, it has since come out, someone who did like the simplest of simple research, it has since come out that uh, the campaign finance filings show a 2017 donation of 30 grand and a 2018 donation of 50 grand to California for Jobs and a Strong Economy, a PAC that provides support for business-friendly Democrats. So we're not exactly talking about a business because they're smart who just donates to one political party. It has since come out that they kind of they're, spread. The they're money playing out. both sides of the field. Sure, as does any many businesses, w- right? Many individuals. Yet this person figured that um, 
it would be wise to boycott. Oh, you got off your knee? Are you taking a knee over there? The, yeah. The funny thing about it is that anybody who's eaten there knows the little secret that they put John 316 on That's right. the bottom of the cups and the and I, fry containers. That's right, the fry uh, little things. So you know they're a Christian family. It's an all-family-owned business. They don't franchise out. They're private. They're private, you know. And I think what's really funny is this is one of the first topics where I've looked at, like, Facebook and even my Democrat friends were saying, I'm still eating it out. Exactly. That was <laughs> the funny one about this the, is, is the, you had Dems all over the place. The interesting thing is, is that they're a fast food restaurant, but they do not pay minimum wage. They're, um, they're one of the highest paid, you know, employers in the state. If people remember the book, this guy, this was pretty popular back in the, like, 2005, mid, you know, mid first part of the, uh, the century, that for the first decade, is Fast Food Nation. And it was somebody who wrote a book, I forget the author's name, but they looked at all the fast food restaurants and they said, here's all the horrible work conditions, horrible pay, horrible treatment of workers. The very end of the book, they said, the one fast food company that gets it right, that does it right, is In-N-Out Burger in California. And, and you know what? To their credit, it's the one place where your order's never screwed up. It's always taken correctly. It's a friendly atmosphere. The staff looks like they're on their game, right? It. For anyone who's uh, not been there before, it's a complete 180 from any other kind of fast food chain you see. First of all, if you haven't been there before and you yeah. don't live in California, you should get a plane ticket. Yeah. yeah I exactly. can't imagine there's anybody listening to us who hasn't been there. Hey, you never know, man. There are a lot of vegans in California, I suppose. But why you would try to sink one of the better paying jobs in the state, you know, uh, an employer that provides good benefits higher the minimum wage, hourly rate, uh, and they're getting it right. They're doing it well. They're serving good, fresh food. They're treating their staff appropriately. Uh, they get consistently high marks. And that, you know, that book came out years ago, but that's still the trend for them. And the two employers you consistently hear uh, that provide a good experience are them and Trader Joe's. Oh, Trader right, Joe's right. is the same way. I mean, their managers make six digits, you know, and I why you would ever try to put a good quality employer like that out of business is ri ridiculous. Let me ask you guys a question. What do you think? I, I've heard, I've heard just a bunch of angles on this, a bunch of just people's personal beefs and preferences. What do you think about the whole idea of beefs? Oh, no pun intended. Uh, I get it. Boycotts. Okay. I, I did want to uh, weigh in on this. Um, I, I wanted to bring in Colin Kaepernick kind there, of deal. Okay. Yeah. Great example. But, it, but again, knee, yeah. let's, let's expand this for a second to just general boycotts. Okay. Because that's obviously what was attempted. It was attempted here. Totally yeah. failed. Protests and boycotts, similar but different. Okay. You're, you're doing without when you do a boycott. Uh, protests don't have to necessarily take a monetary Thing. I mean, you can go outside and stand with a sign. That, that, that's a and, good point. You're yeah. not. Uh, I don't feel in the definition of a protest. You're like denying the exchange of, of good services, that sort right. of thing. You can have a million man march, for example. Yeah, that's right. a protest. Right. So, um, when you do a protest, you want to focus on someone who's actually implicated in whatever you're protesting against. When you make it, you know this wide area protest. For example, I'll use the Colin Kaepernick thing. What is he protesting? That social all, injustice. Social injustice. And so who is his target audience? His target audience is 
everyone in America. Yeah, that's okay. Fair. So when most of America looks out upon it and go, what is it that I did to wrong you, sir? Okay, and what is it that I can do to fix it? That is a direct, you know, what, what am I, what are you protesting and why do you get money, oodles of money, because of your protest stand? You're not actually doing without. You're not suffering from it. You didn't sacrifice everything like your slogan says. Yeah, I'm sure he gets a hefty paycheck from Nike. He gets a hefty, <laughs> the seven isn't figures, it, thank you very much. Isn't it being donated? I would assume it is. Oh, yeah. Nope. Oh, I know. It's very surprising. But it's like if Louis wronged me for something, my protest should be with Louis. That would Louis. never happen. It would never it happen. happens daily. <laughs> he, he constantly battles me with burning stuff down. But... Uh, but in all seriousness, this this is always a, a disagreement that we might have with, with one another in society in which we talk to each other. And we have a dialogue. But, like, we'll go with the, um, the buses and the, and the, uh, of the civil rights movement where they boycotted the buses because they were directly um, uh, prohibiting black people from riding the buses wherever they chose to ride it. You know, you have to give up your seat. So when they boycotted a specific uh, organization, it mattered. They didn't go everywhere and say, let's boycott all you know, bus drivers everywhere because it wasn't a nationwide thing. It was specifically for that area. Well, and I feel like both are just thrown around so willy-nilly. That's true. Right? It's like everyone has something to protest. Everybody thinks... And everybody thinks what they're protesting is worthy of protest, right? Like, just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's something to be protested, nor is it something to be boycotted. Just because it doesn't agree with you. Now, you can, but I think it's funny when you think you can just wave a flag in the air and say, hey, everyone, follow me. Let's boycott this restaurant. Like, that's the, like, dude, like, the lead, like the dem leader <laughs> tried to boycott in and out. Yeah, that's what huh. I'm saying. Like to just follow the Pied Piper. Yeah, exactly. It, to think that you have, I think it's the sad state that you think you have that much sway just because of party affiliation that you can convince all these people to just not eat somewhere. And that's at least in this realm, right? That's another uh, downside. Although... It's greater levels of communication, greater levels of uh, transparency and dissemination of information. But social media, websites. But, but, but that has, there's no question that that has emboldened people or at least give them, in many cases, the false sense that they have access to creating and uh, getting people to fall in line behind them to follow them with all this stuff. But look at what exactly they're protesting, because you brought it up earlier, which was uh, they contribute just as much to the Democrats as they do to the Republicans and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But the, the Democrat who wanted to protest and boycott in and out was specifically because this organization fell in line with the Dirty Republicans or, the or evil, yeah. Uh, 
to Trump and his cronies. His cronies. Trump. Oh, we must get rid of every Trump. Everyone who disagrees with me is a Nazi. Right. Well, and it goes back to throwing these labels around, right? And using fear-mongering of getting a label placed on you as uh, an influence for not for not going a certain way. So, for instance, if you had uh, the business like In-N-Out, and let's say they had weak leadership and they did kind of cower, well, now they're going to not support Trump because he, he linked them in the same paragraph, and Trump can be very controversial to people. And you get a lot of people who are like, this happens all the time, yeah, I don't. I don't. I voted for Trump, but you know, I don't agree with everything he says. Like people are always uh, placing conditions on their. You don't hear that from Hillary people. I voted for Hillary, and she got robbed, and blah 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 blah. Yeah, right? Yeah. But everyone is always putting conditions on Trump. Yeah, yeah, I voted for him, but yeah, you know, I don't. I don't agree with everything he says, and uh, so so don't look at. I'm not like that Trump supporter. You know, <laughs> there's this whole image that's been established. We talked about the dentist that went on the hunt you know, and killed Cecil the lion <laughs> tanked his business, even though his dentistry had nothing to do with hunting, go on Yelp and you leave all these bad reviews just to be a jerk. Uh, I think what's funny is you're seeing the reverse on that, uh, the, uh, the restaurant that, um, Oh, uh, red barn, the red barn. Okay. Restaurant oh, oh, Sarah, uh, where Huckabee Sarah Sanders, Huckabee Sanders dined at. And now I don't know if you there was a story, there's a story last week where that entire town is about to go bankrupt because they have nobody visiting that town anymore after the fiasco. And that restaurant is getting tanked on Yelp right now because people are upset that she got kicked out. Not only that she got kicked out, but that the business owner then followed her across the street to the next restaurant and continued to make a scene. But that whole town now is seeking financial aid because they're, they're built on tourism and they have no tourists anymore. So when we call for these boycotts, I think people, yeah, it's hard to say, with great power comes great responsibility, and you do have this nationalized microphone on Facebook, uh, but now you're affecting a whole lot of other people in that town besides the stupid restaurant owner, you know? Yeah, there's, um, this won't come surprising for me to say, but you, yeah, there's a marketplace element to all this, right, that... As long as the information is clear and understood, and and it'll kind of work itself out in a lot of the in a lot of these situations. In and out being a great one, you saw it on Facebook. You guys said you get you had Democrats, known Democrats, it's, saying it's a this, state treasure. Yeah, it's like, this is a joke. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to not go to In and Out. Well, and you saw this backfire with Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A became right. like it yeah. rose to the number one fast food chain overnight, almost, and became. You know, we didn't really have any of them here at the time. You know, it wasn't really a West Coast thing. Now you've just seen an explosion of Chick-fil-A, and all it did was make them stronger. And they stood principled, you know. Wreck me down, it's and true. I become stronger than you can Christian owned, Christian values, and not on Sundays. They weren't going to back down on that, you know. Same with Hobby Lobby. I, they look like they're exploding, too. I'm starting to see them on the West Coast, or they didn't exist. All these... uh all these businesses that people have tried to boycott for political reasons seem to be doing extremely well. So keep doing it. Yeah. It's free advert. <laughs> Let's boycott uh, Louis's business. So. Oh boy. Negative. <laughs> Never. Okay. Final topic. Another California topic. Californians attack. California's attacks 
on the gig economy end up hurting neighborhood barbers and tattoo artists. So this goes back to an April 2018 ruling. Did you have something, Bobby? No, I was just going okay. keep going. I was like, oops, we did something bad. <laughs> yeah, shocker here in this yeah. state. So back in April 2018, the California Supreme Court said workers are assumed... Let me back up for a second. All of this has to do with, and, and I know Louis can um, also comment on this too, as can I to a small degree. This all has to do with who is classified as an employee versus who can be classified as a contractor. And those are two very different things when it comes to a business owner and the business owner's responsibility in terms of the taxes that they were required to pay, maybe other support uh, benefits, those sorts of things. Those typically are attached to employees, whereas a contractor, it's an agreement between two parties. The contractor agrees to bear, typically, the contractor agrees to bear their own cost for things like health care, their own social security taxes, a host of other things. But they've agreed to do that. And, and understandably, their price, what they charge, let's say, per hour, reflects that. That's embedded in the higher cost, in theory, that they charge to the employer or the, 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 the proprietor of the business for which they're doing work. So back in April, the California Supreme Court said workers are assumed to be employees unless all three of these factors can be proven. And I'll just quickly go through the Lay factors. Lay down the commandments. That the worker is free from the control and direction of the hirer in connection with the performance of the work, both under contract of the performance of such work and in fact. Number two, that the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. That's a big one. And, number three, that the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as the work performed for the hiring entity. Number two is interesting. It is interesting. Because it's basically, it only lets you hire a contractor for something outside your business. That's exactly right. Like, I need a painter for the office. On the website, there was an example. You run a computer store. You've got a plumbing problem in your public restroom you can hire a plumber as a contractor because plumbing has literally nothing to do with your normal course of business. Right. But that's, those are like one-off cases, right? Versus I'm a computer store. I know of a contractor in town who does a really good job at producing a certain type of electronic board I need. And I only need so many of them so often. I'm just going to hire that contractor to work on some designs well, you read this, they're no longer a Well, contractor. let me give you the the example of what it used to be. And there was like, there was like, there was like eight rules or like... Well, the, the well, IRS has very, they, fairly clear guidelines right. on what an That's independent what I thought. contractor yeah. is. Well, let's go back to the, the beginning of the article, which was um, barbers. And the way a barber shop used to work was somebody rented the building. They put their name on it like Fred's Barbershop. And Fred leased out space to... Uh, contracted barbers, okay. Yeah, you you leased out the chairs. You I think so, out the chairs. I think salons also same, same similar yeah, difference, same, right? Yeah. Hair, hair, right? Um, yeah. But that's how it works. But the whole crux of it is because you can do, you can be a barber or a hair salonist anywhere, at any given time, but you now have a storefront and regular customers to come in and and go to your barber's chair. Whereas otherwise, 
you you would have to freelance and find uh, customers on your own, um, willy nilly on, on your own. Well, in part of that too, and the IRS has clear guidelines, but one of them is that you know you complete the job that you're hired for, but the the boss doesn't have the say in how it's achieved for the most part. So you can complete the objective and you can figure out the best way to do that. The other big one is how much, how much do you rely on the employer's equipment or tools to complete the job, right? So that's basically all construction sites. Contractors bring all their own gear, a bunch of different trades, build a home, and they're all independent contractors a lot of times. Same with the chairs or the your salon or barber example. You 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 rent the space, you rent your chair, your little area, you bring all your own equipment, your own combs and clippers and scissors, and you have your own clientele and oftentimes you do your own, you know, square, you know, square or swipe. You're running your own billing and uh you're free of a lot of the confinement of having a boss you get to come in on whatever hours if you don't have your first client until 10 a.m you don't come until 10 a.m and you know that's a lot of the salons and things i've seen that's how they operate you choose your working hours and for that luxury you're not you don't get benefits you're not considered an employee yeah the the only restrictions for the beauty salon barbershop is that they have to operate according to the ordinances of the city so that they're not right. doing it at two in the morning, although they could if it depends on the ordinance. But yeah, they usually couldn't. This goes back for me to the same ridiculousness that is the minimum wage. Because we're back to talking about a contract between two parties. And if two parties agree to a contract, and in this case, the contract is, I will pay you this per or, or or in the barber case i'm assuming it's per client or whatever from whatever you take in i'll take x percent you then deal with everything else but both parties agreed to that and i think what you're finding and they say in here um uh the sacro in this in sacramento the sacramento Mino b noted that there was a bunch of barbers who decided to quit bottle and barlow's um, barbershop because of this and they and they quit because they were unhappy too with they didn't want to be employees that that's not the arrangement that they agreed to everything gets a lot more expensive when you become an employee both for the employer and for the employee totally true and now all of a sudden you have deductions from your check uh your hourly rate might now your hourly rate and everything is subjective to your employer to determine that stuff so if you say, well, I charge 40 bucks for a haircut, now your employer says, well, that's not going to be great for business. We're going to charge 25 bucks, and you're going to make the minimum wage, 15 bucks an hour or whatever it is, versus, yeah, versus you getting to keep that entire you know, chunk of change to yourself and do your own taxes. Not to mention the very base fact, I don't know your situation. Maybe there's a reason you're charging 40. You, whatever the reason, I got no clue. Maybe I'm really good and I'm better than everyone else. And the market dictated that people will come to me and spend 50 bucks on a haircut. But when it comes to contractors, you're independent. And I'm going to bring in Uber and Lyft. Well, that's, that's exactly They're why the driver all this, this is being written. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Well, you, you're, you're 
bringing these people in and you're, you're making them employees, but they used to be able to compete with themselves and with other drivers. And they picked and choose which fares they would, uh, they would go after. Now, obviously some people just pick any fare that pops up and they'll do, they'll go do it because they want the money. But other people would pick and choose whatever fare looked good at the time it was available. So they no longer get that opportunity because they are an employee and they're going to be an employee of one and only one of the businesses, either Uber or Lyft or one of the taxi services that's in your town. To, to that point, to what you brought up, Louie, in the New York Times on, on April 30th of this year, Industry executives have estimated that classifying drivers and other gig workers as employees tends to cost 20 to 30% more than classifying them as oh, contractors. easy. I mean, that, that, yeah, that easy. number doesn't strike me as that. As a contractor, there's no, there's no real standard on wage and pay. You charge, you know, and then that lets me make more money too. If I'm a contractor, you know, I deal with this with web designers and all sorts of stuff. Uh, you work out a deal and they say, hey, it's going to cost X amount of dollars to build this website. Okay, here's the money. Build that website. Now, if you're an employee, I just pay you an hourly wage, and then I kind of own your work day. You know, I can have you work on 12 projects at once if I want, versus him making, we'll just, you know, we'll throw a number out, 2000 bucks a project. Now he's going to make 15 bucks an hour, and I'll just throw 10 projects at him. What's the overarching reason that the California... I mean, this well, came from well, the courts. What, what, why do they want... This. I'm going to give you a story. And I happened to be in New York two years ago when they had a big strike from the taxi cab drivers. Because of Uber because, and Lyft. I have yeah, to believe this whole Uber thing is because of Uber They were Lyft. trying to validate the value of the medallions. Okay. And being uh, licensed, certified, whatever it is right. that they claim to be right. for the city. Then that they paid a king's ransom for these things. And that there's an exclusivity to it. And you get a lot of money for being a taxi driver and boil it all down. It's an asset. And the asset had a value when it was purchased. And now Uber and Lyft caused that asset to be marked to market at a lower price. Right. The asset is no longer worth what it was. And again, that asset was issued by the government. Oh, oh no, they had the total monopoly. It and they had to the total with. monopoly on issuing it. And then when the bubble bursted and it became the true market value. And the market was super diluted with other kinds of drivers. Well, now that I don't blame cabbies for being angry, I'd be angry too, but their yeah. anger should be at the government, not at Lyft and Uber. Because all Lyft and Uber did was bring the crap that is the government regulation to light. Yeah, they brought a market force, market, they, they increased market dynamics in oh, yeah. this particular arena. It's just like when you see these airport fees and stuff, like all these things are just. Because you, barriers. Have, because you have no other option. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the government has a monopoly on regulation. Um, but you were, you were saying, though, Bobby, that... Well, we're doing exactly the same thing. We're protecting our, our, our licensing here in the state or city or whatever. You know, we're trying to validate it. You have to go to barber school and get that, uh, get that certificate that you know how to cut hair. Well... I think in the bar license too, there's a lot of the shaved work and blades and oh, cleanliness sure. yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah. So I, I get, I like the hygiene part. I'm cool with that. Same thing with the cosmetology stuff. I'm okay with that. I think it's a health thing, but I, I believe all this is 
you know, Uber drivers have been complaining for forever that they're contractors and not employees. But I don't think they understand what it means to be an employee and how they shoot themselves in the foot doing that. Because now you have working hours. Like, you don't get to be on the clock, be off the clock, be on the clock. Okay, then you're going to drive the midnight shift and pick up the college kids. And you're not, you know, all these other things you're not going to get. And if it's like anything else that California's ever done, I don't think they understand. You're not going to put this back in the box. You you unpack this and you become employees. You're not ever going to be able to go back and be an independent contractor once you find out that that is not the path you wanted. Right. Right. Yeah, cool. I guess, yeah. I guess that's the, the I'm, I'm just, well, it won't come as a shock. I also read um, labor unions have supported this ruling. They want to get their hands Does, does that surprise that. anybody? That's a total no. shocker. <laughs> Teamsters are, are chomping at the bit for more drivers. You know, the other one that made this, inter- that, that came to mind, and I don't remember all of the details but do you guys remember when Amazon unveiled maybe six months ago that it was going to, it was starting to think about this idea of people running their own mini UPSs? Yeah, I saw that. Right. And if I remember right, it was all based on you are independent. You are not an Amazon employee. You're running right. your own independent business that you contract with Amazon and you're your own UPS entity. That's got to go away with this, right? Oh, yeah. Because they'll easily make the case that Amazon's in the business of delivering goods. Oh, totally, yeah. So I don't know what something like this does to Amazon's whole model in California, which is one of the largest economies. Or entire construction sites. Like now I've got to be a construction company and have 30 employees when before I just hired, okay, I hired the plumber and he put all the piping in and now he's done. Okay, then I hired electricians and they put all the electric Mm -hmm. in and they're done. Now I got to carry all these people on payroll. This will not end well. Or are you just going to get hired and laid off? Hired, laid off. All right, let's take her home, John. I think it's time for the James Woods tweet of the week. Work those drums. Okay, so now we're back to a standard James Woods tweet. He's responding to somebody this time. Are there ever any standard ones? Well, no, uh, well, last time, remember, on last episode, we did. Uh, he just hashtagged something, but then he told a joke, okay. or is a classic joke. All right. This one, though, he's responding to the great Senator Dick Durbin. Okay, so Dick Durbin says, is Senator from Illinois. Dick Durbin says, this is heartbreaking. Chicago has lost far too many aspiring young people to senseless gun violence. When will Republicans in Congress finally decide to act? (laughs) James Woods on September 10th says, Dear Nimrod, Chicago has been ruled by Democrats for 87 years. It has the strictest gun laws in America. Stop talking. You are an embarrassment. Democrats own Chicago. Oh yeah, to try to try and push anything that happens in that city off on anyone else but that party is a joke. Absolutely ridiculous. Is it time for in and out? Oh boy, <laughs> there we go. We're gonna have our own anti-protest. Thanks for joining us this week. New episodes every week, Wednesday, eight in the morning. You can find us on the uh, Apple iTunes, Google, and also SoundCloud. So join us there. Thanks, everyone. Burn it all down.